the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. There's no better place to get real time sports analysis, commentary, and of course, ad free content than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of everything you want every morning ad-free as mentioned. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, and get 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Wednesday morning. Another interesting slate of NBA scores behind us. Certainly plenty to get to in that regard, but not so much in terms of what happened on the court. But who's doing it? Who's making the noise? Who's putting up the points? Who's taking teams on their shoulders and carrying them through these postseason, at least early postseason rounds. Scott Allen at the back end of the show to discuss not only the current crop of young superstars and what they it means financially for them in a couple of months, but the prospective crop of NBA stars and how development leagues and academies and leagues within the NBA and the G League and, and a league outside of the NBA has now formalized with major investment, major players involved. And just the landscape of how that could change not only the NBA, but other sports, right? If they see how this goes and how this works and how specific players are being taken from, you know, early high school and and put into a path and down a pipeline that gets them human ready, uh, training, nutrition ready and marketing ready. Maybe the most important part of it, the brand marketing part of it for the big time, for that draft stage. The NBA is on top of it. As usual, they seem to be on top of it first with a lot of things, and this is just the next version of that. So Scott breaks down some of these developmental academies that have really formed into shape and what it could mean for the league going forward. But first, I'd be remiss if I didn't comment on the reported contract Guy Fieri has signed with the Food Network. Three years, $80 million. Sounds ridiculous to those of you who don't follow the Food Network. If you do follow the Food Network and you have nothing better to do on a Thursday afternoon, than some of us, you know, parents of multiple kids, he's everywhere. I mean, he is the Howard Stern of XM. You know, Howard makes $90 million a year from XM Radio because he is the bank. He is the money for that entire network. Everybody who was on there knows it. He knows it. He's as good as he's ever been. He's the pipeline for that network. The same can and should be said for Guy Fieri. And even if you hate some of his new stuff, you know, diners driving sometimes... It, the syndication is just ridiculous. It is nonstop every other day, wall to wall. His face is on that network. So you can understand that a contract like this is out there. $26.6 million a year. 111 active players in the big three sports, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, have an average salary more than Guy Fieri. That's it. All three of those sports combined, only 111 people will be making more on average than him. So you can understand just how important he is to that network and just how well that network does because of him, especially now that they, they've transferred into Discovery Plus with their streaming network. So big time bucks, big time bucks. I saw a lot of crossovers between uh, Fieri, who's a big sports guy anyway, and the sports and the sports world. So I would be remiss if I didn't comment on it because it's uh, probably very well deserved, but it is uh, an eye-popping number for sure. Okay, one more thing. Uh, we talked Julio last time. I've talked on a couple of other shows about Julio. Obviously, the conversation is not going away. We are now five days away from June 1st, that ever-important dead-cap split day when Julio, Zach Ertz, Aaron Rodgers, plenty of plenty of names out there will really start to come into focus. Will they, won't they, all those things. I, I just want to bring this up. I've heard uh, 
pro football talk, Mike Florio, who's, uh, you know, obviously an outgoing guy with a lot of these conversations, certainly at the forefront of them. And his legal mind brings a lot of good angles to him most of the time. I, I know that the, that, that it's been commonplace for a lot of these major trades to include a bit of a restructure and make the losing team pay some of the salary that goes out so that it, he, that player becomes more tradable. I just don't understand why he's banging the hat on this one. Yes, the 15 in change for Julio's Julio Jones this year, that's high. It's a high base salary. But there's 25 teams involved here. Everywhere you look, another another analyst is saying Julio Jones to this team makes a ton of sense. And whether or not that means there's direct entrance, we don't know. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea how many formal offers have been made to the Atlanta Falcons in terms of teams. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and tell you it's more than one. And all you need are two to create some sort of bidding war. And when that happens, I don't know why you'd be you'd be making this a Brock Osweiler situation or even a Jadavian Clowney situation where. Houston had to eat some of that franchise tag to get him to Seattle. Um, a, we're not late enough in the game for that to be a thing. There's really no, you know, there's no cutoff date for when this trade could happen. It has to happen after June 1st for Atlanta's dead cap purposes. Fine. And, but the fact that it's so public, the fact that Shannon Sharp did whatever he did and made this as public as a trade will ever be, I, I don't think it's mo- I don't think it's relevant in this case. Julio Jones, yes, he's 32. He's still a damn good receiver. He's maybe a top eight receiver in this league still. Age, you know, irrelevant. So as long as there's two teams bidding for him, I don't understand why Atlanta would have to eat any of this in terms of adding more dead cap and cash to their side of it. Uh, It's possible that this becomes a late August. We definitely have to get him out of here. But that's the other part of it. Yes, Atlanta's cap strapped. They need to create some cap to be able to sign Kyle Pitts and a couple of these draft picks that that they brought in this this offseason. They're they're cap strapped. But as everybody knows by now, you can find it anywhere. They can restructure slash extend Grady Jarrett. They can do a couple of base restructures on some of their current players and and, and move enough money around to get Kyle Pitts's four million dollar cap hit in and things like that. It's not that Julio Jones has to go. By the way, they can just restructure Julio for their own purposes. You know, now he may hold out. There's a whole nother element there, but it is not an absolute demand that Julio Jones is traded this year. So having said all that, I don't know why the Atlanta Falcons would rush in any regard to recapture, restructure, hold on to any of his $15.3 million base salary until it absolutely has to happen. I just don't see it happening. Teams can take that money, restructure it and move on. It's not guaranteed. Okay. The 15 this year is guaranteed. There's a little bit guaranteed next year. Move it around. Okay. Make enough cap. If you're Arizona, the last show I said, Arizona would be a sleeper, but I think sneaky good spot for him with Hopkins green, you know, maybe Kirk is in the trade. Maybe Isabella's in the trade. Um, Arizona can certainly make move or move around enough cap to bring in that 15.3 and then restructure it immediately to give them some breathing room in 2021. That stuff happens all the time. I don't know why Arizona would say, we're not giving you a second round pick unless you eat 7 million of that 15. I, I just don't think we're there yet. That's all. I think it's it, that's a rushed conversation. And that's kind of the sexy, the sexy way to discuss trades right now because of what Osweiler did, because of Clowney, because of uh, Yannick and Gogger. There have been certainly enough cases to where this is a thing. I just don't think it's a thing in this case yet. That's all. So just a quick outlook on, on Julio. Again, we're still in who knows conversation. Once we get to June 1st, 
uh, there'll be a lot more specifics to what's going to happen if it's going to happen. And same goes for Aaron Rodgers. Um, okay. I, I promised this a couple of, uh, I believe about a week ago, and it is now live on spotrack.com. My annual spring NFL contract extension candidate piece. I did it a little bit less formal this time. So really it's just like 45 guys, mostly one from every team. There's a couple of uh, teams I couldn't, I couldn't find a notable candidate from. Uh, because they've either done all their homework, done all their work, or they're just in a situation where extensions just don't make sense. Uh, you know, the Lions being one of those. It's basically just a quick paragraph. In many cases, I've given you a projection. In many cases, I've given you at least a, a calculated valuation that I've done on the site for that player. And then certainly my thoughts on, you know, will it actually happen this year? What's the likelihood? Maybe it's a waiting game. You know, will that player play out a franchise tag? in Brandon Scherf's case or Chris Godwin's case. Uh, so I've got a bunch of those there. And quite frankly, you know, I did an extension piece in December. Many of those players are still here. Many of those players have very different details, very different thoughts for me because of players that were drafted, players that were cut, players that were traded already. Um, a lot of teams have certainly changed their culture, changed their dynamic, their outlook for 2021. And these players now either benefited or maybe didn't benefit as well because of it. Um, so there's a pretty good list here. Like I said, it's about 45 players. Obviously, there's some top of the markets to discuss. The Josh Allens, Lamar Jacksons. You know, I don't think they get to Mahomes, but they're going to be that second tier, that new second tier of quarterback money when it's all said and done. You know, The right tackle situation is pretty ridiculous. You could have three right tackles reset that market. Not, not, not including Lane Johnson, who sits at 18 million, but he's more of a, you know, a converted left tackle, you know, uh, but Taylor Moten, uh, I, I mean, it, I think he's going 16 million. I think that's where the right tackle market's going. The left tackle market is over 20, you know, David Bakhtiari, 23. It's, it's, it's up there now. Okay. There's, there's three left tackles sitting North of $20 million. Orlando Brown Jr. is going to be next probably after this season He'll go north of 20 if he has a nice season with Patrick Mahomes, and that'll be a, a relationship they want to keep for the next four to five years. So that market is really extending, and I don't understand why the right tackle market wouldn't go with it. Now, they're not going to be neck and neck ever unless we get a legitimate left-handed quarterback that needs protecting on the right side. But they're going to be, you know, they should gr gradually increase along with the left tackle. So if the left tackle is at 23, you know, there should be a real push to get the right tackle market over 18 million this off season, possibly into next winter at some point, if it needs to wait a little bit. But the fact that there are three, four on this list right now, eligible for a good contract, I think that will jump. Braden Smith, certainly one of them, Orlando Brown Jr. flipping to left, who's going to help his cause for sure. Ryan Ramchek, uh, you know, the Saints absolutely have to get something done, done there to lower his cap hit on his fifth year option. But, uh, you know, the names are there. And the other, the other position of importance here are the safeties, which is tough sledding, you know? The good news for the safeties on this list, list the Marcus Mays, the Harrison Smiths, the Marcus Williams, again, fifth-year option, New Orleans, that has to be restructured. The good news for them is that Jamal Adams is on this list, okay? And Jamal Adams, from a calculated standpoint, is one of the lowest-valued safeties in this extension list. He's missed games with injury. He's, you know, yes, he's a ball hawk, but his interception numbers just aren't there. He's not that kind of player. And he's not being asked to do that kind of, at least early with Seattle. He may convert into that kind of a player and the production may increase. But here's the good news. 
Seattle gave up two firsts and a third and a player to bring Jamal Adams away from the New York Jets. Just gigantic compensation. We saw it with Jamal Ramsey. We saw it with Laramie Tunzel in Houston. And both of those players destroyed their current positions market. Destroyed it. And Laramie Tunzel did it on his own. Self-represented himself to the highest left tackle contract in NFL history at the time. So it, it is a foregone conclusion that Jamal Adams is going to have to do this because of what Seattle already gave up. It's just written into the negotiation table at this point. You know, it's going to be tough sledding because, like I said, I, I did some advanced work on Jamal Adams. I know what kind of player he is. He was overdrafted. He was overcompensated in that trade, and he's going to be overcompensated in this extension. He's still a great player, but, you know, at $16 million a year, $15.5 million a year minimum, to, to surpass the uh, Justin Simmons deal that just locked in with Denver, you know, that's where Adams is going north of. And, you know, Marcus May is going to be right there. What happens to Tyron Matthew in Kansas City, who, you know, the Chiefs could use a restructure on him, not only to keep him, but to lower his current cap hit. He's a $14 million player right now. He's just as good as he's been over the past two seasons in Kansas City. So is he right there pushing that envelope as well? There's five to six safeties on this list all of whom could push the top of that market, a few of which who should definitely get to the top of that market, but it starts and ends with Jamal Adams. And I wonder, I wonder if everybody else will wait for that contract to hit and then just trickle down from there, or will they go early and then force Jamal Adams to be even higher in Seattle, knowing that, that it's a foregone conclusion that Seattle has to go bonkers on that deal because of what they gave up to get him. So those two positions specifically stand out. You're going to see some names here that make you, you know, roll your eyes and groan. Aaron Rodgers is here. Derek Carr is here. Okay. Um, you know, I mentioned Grady Jarrett with the Falcons with, in the Julio situation. He's here because he could be a casualty. His extension could be a casualty of the Falcons just needing cap space. And we see that a lot this time of year. You know, Mike Williams, the wide receiver for the Chargers, certainly hasn't lived up to number seven overall. But, you know, are they, are they a serious Julio contender? Do, uh, is that a team that now has signed Keenan Allen are they going to lock in Williams, who's a question mark, or are they looking to do a Stefan Diggs type move and pull a veteran off a team that's maybe in battle or, or in a bad fit right now and bring him in for, as Justin Herbert's new safety valve? We'll see. We'll see what happens with that team over the next couple of weeks because it's, uh, it's very, very interesting to see how the Chargers handle Justin Herbert. They've certainly loaded up the offensive line, but they're a couple of weapons away now. They lost Hunter Henry. Mike Williams is, is a question mark, even though he'll be on his fifth-year option right now, and it's fully guaranteed. Um, extension, eh, right now for him. And then, uh, you know, some interior linemen. No question about it. There's guards here. There's some converted centers here. Those markets are jumping. I mentioned Brandon Scherf at the top. I don't know what Washington does here. They've really kind of, I mean, massive injuries back-to-back -back years. They slapped an $18 million tag on him which is a death sentence when you, when you have to sit down to the negotiation table because, you know, I've got him valued at 12, even though he was a 14 to $15 player two years ago. You know, the injuries set in, things happen. So I'm sure Washington knows what they know and knows what they have evaluated at him. But the second you tagged him, that's all the agent needs to say, hey, you thought enough of him to put this kind of guaranteed money on him for one year so let's do slightly less than that for four years, right? Is he four for 64, even though that's an overpay right now based on what, how I have him valued? That, that's where it gets tough. Those franchise tags can be death penalties for teams in a lot of cases, you know, injuries, but also just negotiations. It's, it is a statement move by a team to say, 
you know, we don't love you enough to give you 50 million guaranteed, but we'll give you 18 million guaranteed for one year. Well, <laughs> again, that's all the agent should need. Uh, and the last thing, because it's the position that we always end up getting to when we talk, talk about NFL money. Saquon Barkley, speaking of injuries, overdrafted, um, you know, underperformed in terms of what he needs to be at, at, at where he was drafted and what that Giants offense needs from him with, you know, a not elite quarterback right now at play. They're going to pay him. Uh, it's going to be a very similar situation to Zeke Elliott. They're going to pay him. And that injury is not going to scare anybody off. We've seen plenty of players come back from that now to, to where those kind of injuries now don't lead to less money. He's going to make more than McCaffrey at the end of the day. That's where it's going to be. It's going to be a six, you know, at least 16.1 million, which is the, the threshold we're at. I, I don't know if it happens this summer. You know, would the Giants be smarter to wait? They've already locked in his fifth-year option, so he's got guaranteed this and next year for sure. He values at 14, so it's not like he's been awful. He's been a great running back. I mean, he's he's ahead of where Derrick Henry was. He's ahead of where Delvin Cook was. He's right in the Elvin Kamara, you know, Aaron Jones conversation in terms of how he he his calculated value sits heading towards where his contract should be coming up. So he's there. He's in elite company. Um, but I think where do you drafted him and what hit what he means to the offense right now? Because like I said, there's no guaranteed quarterback contract coming, that's probably enough for the agents to say, well, let's just get Barkley done, you know, at 17 million over five. And you can figure out the rest of your contracts when the time is right. But the time right now is for running back money. You're going to, it's, I, I know it's a very difficult thing to say out loud because, you know, even, even the Delvin cooks of the world, they're only getting two year contracts, even though they, they look like four on paper. So are you going to, are you going to guarantee three more years of Saquon Barkley? I don't know. I don't know the right answer to that. You know, McCaffrey got three years almost fully guaranteed with a fourth year as the potential out. So he's he's pretty much locked in there at four years at, at about 12 per year. I don't know if, I, I think Barkley has to go more than that. You probably have to guarantee $55 million on a Saquon Barkley contract right now in terms of practicality. So tough sledding for that position for sure. But I do think we're going to see that in the coming months when the Giants lock in Barkley big time. And not that he's a bad player, just we understand what it means to lock in a running back right now. That's all. So check that out. SpyTrack.com right on the homepage. 45 or so extension candidates for the next couple of weeks in the NFL. All right, let's talk some NBA with Scotty. But first, today's edition of the SpyTrack podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing, supporting prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre and post draft loan programs at morganstanley.com slash GSE. It's morganstanley.com slash GSE. Okay, joined by Scott Allen. Scott, the NBA playoffs are in full swing. We don't need to analyze those too much. You know, it's early. There's some surprises. I think it's good for the league what's happening. And we're going to get to that in a couple of minutes because it has to do with the young players in this league. And I don't know how how, how much farther this can go in terms of this specific postseason, but there's going to be some financial ramifications coming out of this. There's no question about it. Uh, yeah, we'll, absolutely. We'll get there. Let's talk about the players who aren't even in the NBA yet because... 
what's happening behind the scenes and actually is now really a, a formal thing in a couple of instances is this is a global sports discussion. This is not just what the NBA is doing for the NBA. This is going to become, should the, should major league baseball change their minor league system? Should the NFL adopt a true minor league system or an Academy system? Uh, the answer to the, to what the NBA is doing here is both correct. They've essentially adopted both at this point. Yeah, they have. So explain to me the actual NBA version of this and then a non NBA entity that has legs and is actually here. Yeah. So you have uh, the NBA G league ignite team, which is through the NBA G league. This is their uh, way of promoting kids that want to skip college and go straight to the, to, to the pros. And then you have the, this new league, which is called the overtime elite, which is its own entity uh, that's going to compete against this G league elite and uh, sorry, G league ignite. And from what I've gathered information about this overtime elite is they're going to take 30 players split them up into four teams and play uh, a schedule amongst themselves but also outside uh, games are to be determined but there's a lot of uh, backers on that and why we're having this conversation is is both leagues have signed elite players in top seven of ESPN's recruiting class uh, for you know two three years out but these these players have signed two year one million dollars contracts, and the reason that they're signing two years is that is when they would become NBA eligible. Yeah, that's the minimum draft. eligibility, right? Right now, that's the right. qualifying. Now, that is that expected to change? Uh, I don't think so. I Even with the new CBA, the you think that you don't think they're going to let kids come straight out? Do you think this process is in place right now to mitigate that from happening? They want, they still want a mediator, they still want a, a little bit of a growth period, but they want to be able to monitor it under this Ignite League and make yeah, money and from it, it. By the way, <laughs> right, and make money from it, but it's allowing those those players who feel that they are already the elite of the elite to come out of high school at age 16 or 17 go into the pros and bypass college and get that pro ready yeah. uh, experience. Now the, the difference between the G league ignite team and the overtime elite from what I can see so far is uh, the ignite team. They're mixed with these young kids that are signing and have pro experience on the roster. So it's a mixture of have been in the NBA league, but they're not part of an NBA team anymore. They're giving the experience with these young kids to, you know, teach them the ropes, teach them uh, nutrition, teach them how to work out, how to travel, all the things that go with the NBA. It's great. Sleep, sleep habits. I'm sure I, I like this a lot. Yes. Um, yes. You know what this reminds me of a little bit, you know, major league baseball has this kind of outside of America. The, the Dominican Republic has a real Puerto Rico has a really good Academy system. Just, just as you described, I know Carlos Beltran has been a part of it and, and funding it and actually working with some of these kids over there. And, and there's a long list of, of former players that, 
have gone back to their home countries and have really started to put together systems just like this in little pockets and little bubbles, teaching them, obviously, the language, the, the ropes, the longevity of the season here, the, the things that go with graduating from 16-year-old Sandlot kid up to the, the daunting marathon that is a Major League Baseball season. That's such a big part of it. It, it isn't so much about learning you know, how to get away from basic schemes into an NBA model in terms of the on-court stuff. That's that's not even necessary anymore. I mean, the street ball is here. That's, that, that's what, you know, the John Morants of the world are doing out there. And certainly Luca coming from international skylines. But the it's the business, the personal side of becoming a professional athlete. Not even not even so much the money, but it's the the day-to-days, you know, of growing up a little bit, growing up quickly rather than just being thrown into the fire and saying, figure this out, 17-year-old kid. <laughs> Right. And you make a great point with Luca, which I, I thought too, I was going to bring it up if you didn't. The fact that he was young and playing in the pros and look at where he is. Well, right he had now. his own version of this over there, essentially. He did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the fact that he was playing with these grown men and and building, he had to build his body to sustain the the impact. Mm-hmm. So the, the fact that you're building leagues in the United States for these kids that want to go that route. You, you can't fault it. Now, the the overtime elite, they have some pretty big backers. They have Jeff Bezos and Drake as probably their their main, you know, financial backers. But they have other people in there that are former WNBA, NBA. Um, there's a list of names that I, I ran across when I was trying to do my research here. So you you have people that are starting to see that there is a strong business model to going in this direction. So it's interesting though, Scott, that, you know, they're making this formalized Academy. And I imagine that's going to be starting this coming season, correct? I mean, if they're signing players, they're going to play some, they're going to, they're going to have a system in place. So the Ignite, the Ignite was in session last year. Really? They started. Yeah, they, they had a quote-unquote bubble part where they were part of the G League and, and played in there. The overtime elite, they start this fall. Okay, we'll and get to there in a second. The- but last thing on the G League is, you know, I, you and I have done some, some looking here. It's still not a true one-to-one scenario. It's not a true no, minor not. league system. Portland, The Portland Trailblazers, for whatever reason, they don't have a minor league affiliation right now. Um which means they're just plucking people off the street or off of other people's G League teams when they need to, to sign a two-way player. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I have to imagine the NBA is pushing for a true one-to-one situation here. They they are. They are. Okay. And it's it's going to get to that point, and you're starting to see, like, we just had a renaming, the, the main Red Claws, which is the affiliate for the Boston Celtics. They just renamed and made a new logo, Main Celtics. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see... Uh, more of a branding with that. I'm sure as the G League continues to grow, we're going to start to see more of a branding of that nature too. But the goal is to get to a point where each team has their own G League. And look, they've already expanded into Mexico City. They have a team that is being planned to uh, have a G League in outside of the United States. So they are trying to grow as much as possible. It makes sense. Um, and that, I, but the ignite part of this, the Academy part of this is for draft perspective players. 
kids yes. who are either dropping out of high school or, or in high the school elite. or leaving high school don't want to go the college route, which is, you know, unbelievably understandable right now. You know, especially if you can throw a couple hundred thousand in your bank account while training with superstar athletes and former NBA players and training professionals and all these doctors and all these things. It is such a specifically guided process to the actual destination you're trying to get to. I have to imagine this is going to be popular and, uh, you know, answer that question to Scott and then explain to me why this exists versus this overtime elite system, the differences, the advantages, you know, why would a player pick one over the other? The, for one, the NBA Ignite team, they've been in existence longer. So, and they are a subsidiary of the NBA itself. So you're getting into how the NBA functions, how they travel, all of those entities. And on top of it, the NBA has built this so that, like I said, there are experienced players that have been on actual NBA teams on the team that these young kids are playing. So they're getting all of the feedback and all of the experience from those players. Whereas the overtime elite, I do not think that they have that experience from what I see that they just had their first two signings last week. So they're, they're just getting into the signing part. The other, the other aspect of going this route for some of these players in competing with college is the name and likeness part. Jalen Green, who signed with the Ignite last year, he signed a a sneaker deal with Adidas. So he's already able to get into those avenues, whereas if you're going to college, you can't get into those avenues. But again, this is for the elite of the elite. These are for the guys that are most likely one and done, but don't necessarily want to go to college to do the one and done and get that college experience. They want to go straight to the pros experience. Okay. The Lakeland Magic dominated the G League playoffs and won the G League championship. First of all, did you know that? No, I didn't. Okay, good. That's actually the correct answer. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking this up on the fly because I'm interested. Is Adam Silver going get, to get to a point where the Lakeland Magic could be promoted to the NBA? And the Minnesota Timberwolves would be relegated. No. No, I don't think so. I, I, I'm not sure No, a definitive no is the right answer. Adam well, Silver but, is exactly but, the commissioner that would do this. He is. But I'm also the person that said it was a definite chance of the premier. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, that you were all in the Super League before it blew up super, 47 seconds later. The super League. And then as soon as we <laughs> stopped, hit, hit, stop on recording, it was like all, all hell broke loose. And I was completely wrong. So I could be wrong on that. But I, I want to say no for the fact that. I know. I know all the. I, I mean, I'm a huge owners, soccer guy. I'm a huge EPL guy. So I. I you know, I, I know the the pros and cons, and I know that everybody with a brain thinks relegation promotion will never work in America. I'm just saying Adam Silver would be the guy to do it. That's all. Possibly. Can you imagine Carl Anthony Towns being demoted right now? Well, let me go the route of the owner because (laughs) Alex Rodriguez and, and company is buying the, Minnesota Timberwolves for one point five billion. Okay, so let me stop and, you there. Do, does the does the does the Minnesota Timberwolves own their G League team? 
Yes. So then what, believe, who cares? I believe they do own it. But if you're an owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, you, you don't want your <laughs> $1.5 billion then franchise. Then don't tank. I, I, I don't I, – I can't see it happening. I really can't. You, you're – you're going to dilute some of those franchises that get relegated, and this hey. is all about money. Hey. If anything, they're going to expand. You know, maybe maybe that team would get moved to uh, Las Vegas or Seattle or well, whatever. That's how the, that's how the model currently works for sure. Yeah, you 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 take the bad and you move it. Baseball's in the same situation, but um, I think you keep. I I think they would keep the this minor league system in place and not do any relegation because I think. Uh, like you said, yeah, it it's really just a big player pool right now. I, I yeah, get we, it. I understand it. It's a competition pool, but I, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the tea leaves here of what Adam Silver's doing, lining up the Academy model versus the, the true minor league model. And then of course, you know, he's, he's going to finish. He, he's going to, they're going to have some changes to this NBA schedule. Let's put it that way. There's going to be an in-season tournament at some point. The playing tournament is likely here forever. Uh, you know, maybe expanded playoffs is here forever. He's going to keep tinkering with this stuff. And yeah, I think I, I think more so that midseason tournament yeah. is on the, the docket more so. But what what the NBA has done by starting this, and now we're starting to follow suit with other leagues with this overtime elite, is they're they're skirting the one and done rule that is in place right now by them with the NCAA. Mm -hmm. But they're allowing players that are elite of the elite to even come out a year early they can go pro at age 16 17 play for two years and then be draft eligible and they have all that experience so and who being hates draft this? eligible it, it, well let me finish being draft eligible they can go to any team in the draft they, right. they are not selected to have to go to a, a specific team it's it's sort of reverse of what major league baseball has where you can draft a kid he plays in college and then you get him when he's done with college this is you're going pro and then you can go into the draft and then be selected by whoever's in the top five so you're promoting yourself there's probably more scouts looking at the the g league because of the relationship with the nba teams so you're potentially getting more eyeballs and you're learning the travel and the sleep in the united states so i i just think this is a way that the nba is allowing kids to even come out earlier that are super elite as opposed to having to play in high school one more year or two more years and then go to college for a year and then come out, they're allowing. Uh, so, so what's interesting to me, Scott, is this G League Ignite team, Ignite team actually plays in the G League. They're a team in the yes, G League. Yes, they do. Yes, so they do. They and, were, but they also play, they are a team that plays in the G League, but they will play, you know, like a, a U.S. under 18 team or sure. whatever. They, they can go play other exhibition teams wherever they want. Say it again out loud. What, what kind of salaries are these kids getting? Well, the ones that just signed last week are two years to get them to their draft eligible year, but it's two years. Uh, $1 million is what the reports have been. So wow. AAV 
half a million a year. Okay, let's flip over to the other league, which is not affiliated directly with the NBA. It is more of a sponsorship-type league. Um, You know, explain, I I guess, if you can, explain that side of it. Explain the branding process of of this elite team, because I have to imagine that now that they've got a couple of real ballers in this G League Ignite team, the NBA is really going to pump some advertising money into it. And that's a big part of how you get these kids to come here versus college versus, you know what I mean? Like, like is Duke going to, going to do their due diligence to promote the heck out of the fact that they pulled two five-star players? No, because it's been a foregone conclusion that that just happens. Well, to me, that's the most interesting, you know, about face that could happen here is a, if, if, if the NIL stuff kicks in and God, is it taking forever? American politics at its best with this stuff. I've been dying to get Emily Karen back on to talk about it. There's nothing to freaking talk about because it's basically at a standstill. Um, But if that comes into full force, then you have this G League situation. And then you have this other outside entity that's that's trying to now pull in 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, pay them a little bit of money, promote them, let them make their own branding money, and then give them a specific path to the NBA. Now you've got three big entities, not to mention the international scene, competing for the pipeline to the NBA draft. Who's going to be the best at marketing this? Who's going to be the, who's going to get the better TV deal? Who's going to get the better streaming deal? Who's going to be able to to turn these kids into superstars? You know, who's going to be Zion or Bryce Harper or somebody at 16 on the cover of magazines? Not that those exist anymore, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, You know, who's going to be able to give these kids the most IG followers? That's what this, that's what matters. You know, when these kids hit the draft stage, put on that hat, they're going to be known entities, known superstars already, and not just because we saw them in March Madness, but because of this whole other situation. So is it the G League that's going to give them the best plan to do this? Is it going to be what Luca went through internationally? You know, is that going to become more in focus on, on the American spotlight? Or is this other entity going to have the upper hand because they can bring in MasterCard and Gatorade and whoever else they can bring in to really pump the, pump the cash into it? I think it's it's all of it. It's the fact that we have investors, and like I said, this overtime elite investors. We've got Drake. You've got Jeff right. Bezos. You have twenty five current and former NBA players that are investing in this. So players, we know that they'd like to invest. Kevin Durant likes to invest. LeBron James likes to invest. Yada, yada, yada down the line. The fact that you have an external league that they can now invest in for the players of the future, whereas in the G League, the NBA owns it. You're going to have these current and former players. Who who knows how they're going to promote this on their Instagram, Twitter? You know, how how does that overlap with their games are they able to you know is there a fine line between being on the nba court and promoting that league or can they only do it offline can they not have laker paraphernalia or net paraphernalia on when they're advertising it i'm sure there's a lot of league leads the one thing that i've read with this overtime elite is they are guaranteed players that are signed into this are guaranteed to make at least $100,000 per year. And then on top of that, there are incentives and bonuses and the, the, the reports, like I just said, the, the two kids that just signed with this, and they're the first two, they signed for a two year, $1 million. 
So what does that mean for other players or, you know, if, uh, if a four-star recruit comes in, what are they going to sign for? But the, the advertisements, yeah, you're getting all these kids and in, in competing with that college likeness, they're able to get those shoe deals. They're able to market Gatorade. They're able to market whatever. Well, let me, let me, let me connect Adidas. the dots even more, Scott. So the, the, the actual founders of this overtime elite are a couple of guys from William Morris endeavors who are really becoming an entity in sports. They were generally an entertainment company, a marketing company, an agency, um, a creative company, you know, a CAA rival for big time Hollywood stars, big time movie stars, big time promoters for music and things like that and, and festivals and all that good stuff. They've jumped ship. They have, they have converted a lot of their energies to big time athletes so much so that They've got a couple of major high draft picks, one being Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two overall this year. Um, this is the second straight draft where William Morris Endeavors has been a major player in the top NFL draft picks. And now to see that this is the other, the other focus they have is that two other major executives have launched this thing. By the way, this is five years old. This has been five years in the making. And you, you hit on it, but I want to I make a more specific target to it. Here's the, the major investors. It's Bezos is the money. Drake's going to be the, the marketer, right? Yep. yep. Uh, Alexis Ohanian, he's the Reddit co-founder. And I believe Serena Williams' husband. Is that correct? Yes. So that's a pretty damn good... I mean, there's your tech slash sports connection right there. Um, and then you mentioned all the basketball players who have put their time and money into this to try to make it what it is. They've raised over $140 million. And, yeah, and crazy. I think one of the other big things to talk about is they've selected Atlanta as their home base. This is where their, their, their games, their academies, it's all going to happen. That's a pretty good decision. That's a pretty good decision. That's where networks live. That's where a lot of good basketball is. That's where a ton of college lives, college basketball lives. Um, it's, a, it's a strong recruiting model there. You know, you're, you're, you're away from the West Coast. It's not exactly centralized. So that's going to have a little bit of a downfall. But uh, they're going to be able to build a situation where these kids can come and live and bring families. I have to imagine that's part of this yeah, process. Yeah. That's just going to yeah, be what, what they so. do. It may, they may not have the, the salary compensation to compete with what the NBA can do, Scott, and certainly not with what international can do. That's the international draw. If you want to rip up, rip up your current life and go live somewhere else, you can make more money. That's what every women's basketball player, that's what a lot of women's soccer players are doing because the money just can't compete here right now on a year to year basis. That's hopefully evolving and changing, but it isn't right now. I, I think that's the model that overtime elite is going for. We're not going to have the initial base salaries be as eye popping as, as we want them to be, but that's calculated because we have put in place a system that's going to get your name out there. And that is all that matters because we're, we're going to give you a little bit, a little bit of cash, a little bit of bank. We're going to teach you how to use it. <clears throat> we're going to teach you how to make more off on top of it. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have people like Drake and his people teach you how to double it as an influencer. Let's be perfectly honest with what this is. Okay. Yes. This isn't a part-time job on side of playing basketball. This is, we're going to, we're going to create your name. We're going to use your name and you're going to make money off just having a name and just putting a hat on and popping on IG. That's just how stuff works these days. And there's nothing more, more powerful than that. If you're a professional athlete, nothing. And it's why what you, what you say or do outside of the game can be so you know, powerful in on a positive or negative landscape. And that's got to be part of this too, is learning how not to screw it all up with one tweet 
or one statement or, or, you know, there's just so much to learn. I love everything about this. I'm not saying the NBA's version is better or worse. I, I don't know. I think what OTE has done here, the people they brought in, the money that they've been able to raise, the, the decision to go Atlanta, I think this is very, very promising. And I'm, I'd be very interested to hear, and maybe I can get Emily on this, who, who does a lot of work with, with college basketball and colleges in general. I, where are they? Yeah. seeing this. Do they just not care? I wonder if that's the answer. Do you think college basketball just doesn't care because they knew it was coming anyway? And if they lose the five-star recruits, it stinks. But guess what? College basketball with a bunch of three and four-star recruits, that's pretty good ball. You know, It's not going to be the NBA street ball. It's going to be more of the schematic, strategic basketball. But I think it's okay to be different. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And we're talking about money. the... <laughs> We're talking about the 1% of the 1% going this That's route. Right. So is it going to hurt college basketball in the long run? I don't think so because you're targeting co- college basketball and college sports are targeting the college yeah. student athlete. And those are, those are athletes that want to go and get an education, but play sports at the same time for the most part, you know, these players are the ones that they don't want to do the one done. They don't want to have to go sit in class and take uh, a subpar class just to meet the criteria so that they can play ball for six months and then be done. This is allowing them to get into the financial system and learn the ropes. And if they are that good, then they're going to be able to succeed. And on top of it, one of the things I forgot to mention was in addition to the salary and the bonuses and incentives, they also get a slice of the pie yep. and shares in o- in OTE. So right. um, that that is another element that colleges can't offer. NBA G League cannot offer uh, because there are no shares in that that I'm aware of. Uh, so one other they thing, do have- you mentioned the college route. That, that players would just be abandoning that because, you know, it's silly that they have to do it anyway right now. I, I like that OTE has built in the backup plan. I don't know if you've seen this. So let's say a kid goes through the, goes through the system, plays for two years, and they, they, just, they just don't find it. They're not on an NBA draft track. You know, their, their ball is probably better spent overseas for a couple of years, whatever it's going to be. They then will, will give you an, a $100,000 college expense stipend to, to leave OTE and go to school. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, whether there's eligibility there or not to keep playing, I'm, I'm not positive. I, I don't know the semantics anymore of how that would work, but I would imagine that there'd be, you'd be allowed to play and also get a career in something else at, the, at that route too. So like I said, this is not, they're just throwing this together right now to compete with the NBA. This has been a five-year process. I like everything I'm reading about this system. I like all of it. Um, the only question I would, I would ask is we brought up the point that the Ignite players are playing against G League teams right now. Like it was, yes. it, they had a full season against yeah. actual fringe NBA players. Can OTE do that? I mean, what kind of competition is OTE going to be playing against? I, I think, I think they could. They could go that route and hire, you know, the the big three league those players that are older but want to play still. I wouldn't see why you couldn't bring in some of those teams and, and build around it or have that mentorship in it. Um, but from what I have read, they're looking to get 30, 30 players, 30 boys um, to split into four teams and 
uh, Kevin Ollie, the former UConn coach, is one of the coaches. Yeah. Uh, from what I read, and you know, Boy, I, I don't imagine think being a superstar fourteen-year-old kid right now. Like you're going to have people calling your parents every other hour <laughs> from all these different channels. Like it's, well, it's it, going to come from everywhere now. Right. And it's not even just having coach K or bill self or Tom Izzo come to I mean. your living room. You're going to have Drake Drake in your living room <laughs> because they, they're, they're going to want that premiere, yeah. especially with the generation we're in with TikTok and Instagram and everything else that's going on. If you're making a name for yourself, you're going to have everybody coming at you from all directions. And that's going to be a lot. I yeah. mean, in, in reading the Kevin Garnett book that I've, I've been telling you about, you know, it talks about all the different avenues that he had to, to go through and figure out and understand from a high school age. You know, that that's a lot for a, a 16, sure. 17 year old. So it, it's going I remember to be a lot of similar stories from Brian Windhorst with LeBron, just yes. the, the minutia, the business speak that he was dealing with at age 14 in Ohio. Just, it was unbelievable. The, the, the sneaker situation, I mean, he had companies flying in Adidas, Nike, all of them to sit down with him and his mother. I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, I was throwing pizza in the, in the cafeteria. I can't even imagine. And, and, and that, and that's, you know, that's going to be interesting from all areas because college right now, you know, like you said, name and likeness isn't in the picture yet, but college coaches have to go and try to sit with these kids. And then on the other side, you have this OTE side trying mm -hmm. to promote them, but they can promote a completely different avenue and uh, culture and relationship than what the college can do. So that's, it's, it's really going to tear uh, players one way or the other. And they have to be careful because my, my assumption is if you go the OTE route, you're going to have an agent unless you don't hire an agent. So if you don't, and you go the college route, if you don't work out, as soon as you hire an agent, you are not eligible for the NCAA. Right. So it, it, is there a fine line where they go pro and they get paid to pay paid to play, but they haven't taken, they don't have an agent. Can, is there legalese that they would be able to get back into the NCAA? I, I don't know that answer. I'm just posing the questions here um, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of this is going to come up. And once name and likeness does come up, does that, what is the fine line between going this pro route versus the college route. It, it, it's a lot, but it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. And if this OTE can really compete against this G league. To, to me, it, it's all about the competition itself. To me, it's all about who can they, you know, can they build a league that is sustainable enough to be able to, to put together a 15 game season like the G league has, has right now. And that the G league Academy can be a part of that. That to me is much more attractive than, you know, the, the prospects of what OTE can offer on the court though the OTE stuff off the court might be more attractive and might be more important to the young kids. Honestly, it might be. Yeah, it, you're it, right. Building the brand early before you step on the stage might be the most important part of this because the basketball if, stuff is probably mostly figured out at this point. 
Yeah, and you're right with the branding part because if they if that is their education component That's as right. opposed to going and sitting in a class that you don't want to be at for four months, That's right. you, you're going to go the route of I want to learn how to be a business owner or I want to learn about branding. I want to learn about whatever ins and outs. That, that, that's a great point there. Okay, smooth transition because what this is going to do is it's going to create an even deeper pipeline of young players who come into this NBA just game ready, playoff ready. And yes. I, I mean, it, we're here. We've seen it now. It's been two weeks. There's a crop of kids in this league right now who I'm not sure they can win at all. I'm not sure we're that, at to that point yet because you know that really has never happened. Not since like magic, right? I mean, way back in the day when rookies you know, took their teams all the way, even though they were rookies on deep teams. I don't know that we have that yet. You know, Luke is a one-man show. Trey, to some degree, is a one-man show. John Morant is absolutely a one-man show with some defensive pieces around him. But they're balling, and they're winning some games here. They're winning some major games. And for the most part, they are carrying their team on their shoulders, which means that they are much, much more experienced for these kind of moments that I think we've seen in a lot of rookie classes, maybe the past 10, 15 years. So what does it mean? You know, what does it mean? Let's put the playoffs aside and just what does it mean for Trey Young to be doing what he's doing right now and Luca to be doing what he's doing from a contract standpoint? These kids are extension eligible. And, yes, they are. And there's absolutely no doubt anymore. I mean, Trey Young was maybe an afterthought three weeks ago and he has two big playoff games and here we are. Yeah, you're right. And there's, like I said last pod, there's there's a handful plus that are in for massive paydays with these extensions. And the transition from this G League Ignite OTE, what what this is going to do is if these players can really get the experience, we may see a Luca-esque future where you're going to have these young stars get multiple NBAs, possible defensive player of the year, possible MVP like Derrick Rose. And then you're going to see potential super maxes like Luca is in line for. So let's talk about it. Luca's already super max eligible after, after this, uh, this third season, he's going to bag another all NBA in a couple of weeks here, whenever those come out. Um, By the way, how do they not market these LNBA selections? Oh, I, I know. I was talking to you about this offline. How, how do they not have a TV show where you have three? It's like a bracket selection teams. Yeah, and and, and you go from slots. the bottom up. You do your highlights, yeah. or you do you do whatever you want. The, the sixth man of the year, the most improved. You show the highlights. There, the, it's it's easily either a three hour show or you do one hour each day for each all NBA team. Mm-hmm. And you just, I, I'm shocked ESPN, TNT, NBA has not gone this route. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> agreed. We, we do a live Side show note. for it because it, it's got a lot of impact on what we do because yes, these guys does. hit all NBA and Jason Tatum jumps from, you know, 168 to what, 196, something like that. I mean, his contract has a $30 million trigger if he's all NBA. So that's the point. Uh, Luca's going to going to bag another All NBA. He's going to be super max extension eligible after this season. So whenever the playoffs end, it's going to happen. There's no question about that. I mean, he's more than earned his case. So he's got another 10 million guaranteed next year on this rookie contract. Then the extension would kick in. What is that extension going to be? So at a 25 percent of the cap, it would be a five year 168. That's not going to be the case though. Contract. 
It's not going to be the case. He's going to go to the 30%, but I had to bring up the the bottom. The 30% max would be a five-year, $201 million. Okay. Incredible. Contract. Incredible, which means... And, and, and And that's why I bring up this G League Ignite, OTE. If we start seeing players that are getting to this caliber of Luka, we're going to start seeing more potentially of these players getting the All-NBAs that are going to trigger these super maxes, and we may see an influx. Now, it, we could be way off base and, and not that not happen at all. But the fact that the opportunity is there, and on top of it, when these as these two leagues start to go, keep in mind the NBA CBA is going to be up for renewal in 2023. Mm-hmm. There could be some shifts in negotiations on how these supermaxes work. So there, there, there are a lot of variables in play, but for right now, the, the base for a max salary for some of these eligible extension players would be the five years, 168. Luca gets the all NBA. If it comes out today or tomorrow, whenever, and that's the other problem is they don't have a set time and date that they release this information at. So say it comes out today or tomorrow, he could automatically be triggered to be eligible for a five-year $201 million. And that's it, a 3% raise from the cap. Uh, so if that cap goes up with fans in the stands, revenue, you know, with additional playoffs, yada, yada, that $201 million could go up. Is anybody him. else in Supermax land right now after this season in terms of the no. rookie extensions? No, right? Not not after this season, but if we get to next season and they've signed this and have those triggers like Donovan Mitchell, DeAndre Fox, uh, or De'Aaron Fox, yeah. and those guys that we talked about er, uh, earlier a couple weeks ago, you know, they get all NBA next season. It all it could automatically trigger it up. So that's so, what Trey is probably looking for. Is Trey going to so extend? Trey, Trey's going to wait, right? I, I mean, he he could extend. I, it's either you extend or you. Oh, sorry. He can extend, but then with, with the condition, if he makes all yes. NBA next year, it'll jump up thirty mil. Right, and, and gotcha. we may see we may see more of these tiered entities that I, I've been talking about, where third All NBA gets you twenty six percent, second All NBA gets you twenty eight percent, gotcha, uh, and, and then All NBA would trigger the full thirty percent. I think we're going to start seeing more of those tiers. And, and, and in some cases, for like the big guys, if you get an, a defensive player of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if I see DeAndre Ayton sign an extension that has, if I'm a defensive player of the sure. year next year, it's going to trigger me a 30% automatically, sort of like Bam Adebayo had. He has that in his, or, or had it. Um, so th- there are, we're talking about Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be in this conversation. Yeah. SGA is going to be in this conversation. Jaron Jackson Jr., DeAndre Ayton. You got the two Bridges, um, Miles and Mikel. So th- these are guys that are going to have paydays. And then to some certain extent, you know, Robert Williams could probably fit in there, but I don't necessarily know <laughs> if he's a max player. Yeah. But he's he's definitely going to be in for a payday with how, how he has played here down the stretch. And then – there are other players that are eligible that are in the first round of that 2018 draft class, but you know, they may get, I'm not bringing them up because I don't think they're max sure. extension. So they may it's get still a hell of a crop. It's definitely oh, a hell of a crop. It is. 
let's, like just, said, let's just quickly forecast this, Scott. So let, because we know Lucas set in stone, uh, you know, whatever that, that cap jump next year is, he's going over $200 million on this yes. next contract. So let's just say he makes 10 and change on this rookie contract over four years, which is what it's, that's his four-year landscape. Then he adds $201 million to it. We're talking about $211 million in his first nine seasons. <laughs> and oh, by the way, he's going to be 27 going on 28. When that's done, he's going to be tw- oh, not even 28 years old and ready for contract number three, having made $211 million in the NBA already. I, I did a quick blowout of Steph Curry a couple days ago based on what his max extension could be with Golden State that you helped, you helped me out with. Yeah. Assuming that's what happens and he goes max, he's going to be ha- he, he will have made $470 million in his 17-season career. Luke is going to destroy that. Yes. Luke is going to Luke is going to have three contracts north of two hundred million dollars. Steph will be the first two at two hundred. Luke is going to have three, at least three, at least two hundred. I mean, his his third contract might be closer to two fifty. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, we're going to get in some serious. We're going to have five hundred million dollar players, half a billion dollar NBA players. Probably in this next draft class, possibly in Luca's draft class. Oh yeah, I, th- I think Luca has a chance at five hundred million dollars. Is is the point I'm trying to project out here? <laughs> and if not, you know, it's going to be on Zion's Zion's hands. Maybe, you know, it, that draft class lasts later. Though none of that's looking really great right now, but we'll see. You know what that could be, John Morant. Yes, that's Ja, right? Yep. That yeah, he would be the So next he's the guy follow. to watch. He's the next iteration of this because now he's he's had his little breakout. Who knows how far it can go? He'll be extension eligible after this next season, correct? Yes. He and Zion. I, I think Luca's the one to watch. Luca has a legitimate chance at five hundred million dollars in this league, which is just insane because he's been playing professional ball for for five years already, including his international stuff. And he's a super max in two and a half years. It didn't even take him three years to get here. Incredible. Uh, Understated. For a guy who came into the season out of shape, and I'm giving you air quotes, we're all, you know, we're all being laughed at right now. We're all being laughed at. This guy is a killer. He's a killer. And he may be a killer financially too. So something we'll be keeping an eye on for sure. All right, Seth. Good stuff. All right. Have a good one. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And to Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Speaking of prospective NBA slash NFL draft prospects, morganstanley.com slash GSE. All the financial help you need to become the big professional athlete you want to be. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 